0: I actually thought we were done our series on partnership with God, but I was praying this week and I felt that there was some unfinished business, some details that we had left out. Just a quick overview. In week number one, we talked about the attributes of God and we talked about a God who is all powerful, a God who is all knowing, a God who is omnipresent. And this God who created all the universe with his spoken word invites you and me to come into partnership with him. That's pretty amazing. In week number two, we discussed how the word says that those who know their God will be strong. The man or the woman who knows their God is going to be powerful and they're going to do great exploits for God. The third week, we talked about sharing in his sufferings that we might one day reign and rule with him throughout all of eternity. And week number four, we talked about leveraging temporal things for eternal purposes. And we talked about you and I, Jesus said, Jesus said that the people of the world are shrewder, they're wiser than the people of the light. Because they understood how to leverage things that they had to make their future better. And the importance of you and I leveraging temporal things that we have today for eternal purposes. Now this week I want to talk with you about what I believe is the most important principle of partnering with God. And that is just simply three words. Christ in you. When you go into partnership with God, there's a new sheriff in town. He sets up an office inside of you and he sends the holy spirit to be that managing partner that director of your lives i know that you know this but do you realize at conversion jesus christ came and the bible says that he made his abode inside of us in our preschool classes in the back Our teachers will take the children and they'll start to talk to them about these very principles. That Jesus loves them. That he cares for them. And we encourage these little children to invite Jesus to come into their hearts and be their Lord and Savior. We ask them to prepare and make room in their hearts for God. I remember as parents before our kids were born... When we found out that Lori was pregnant, each time the the day that we found out that she was pregnant, we would lay our hands on her stomach and we would pray for those children. And as they grew and when they were little, we would talk to them. I remember them being little in their cribs. And it's, that's really our responsibility is to, while they're in their cribs, while they're in their bouncy chairs, to talk to them and, and introduce them the best that we can to Jesus. And you can ask a two or three-year-old child, where does Jesus live? And what do they say? In my heart. Jesus lives in my heart. One of the greatest things is to know that Jesus came and lives inside of the hearts of your children and they've invited him to be a savior. Partnership with God involves going back to those elementary teachings and the things that we learned when we were two or three years old and that we experienced and allowing the life of Jesus Christ to flow through you. The apostle Paul, he puts it this way in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. He says, "I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me." Let's we I don't want to be goofy, but could you say that with me? You can read it up here on the screens. Let's read it together. "I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, But Christ lives in me. Our next portion of the verse. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then Paul goes on to say, you don't need to read this part. He said, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. I want you to hear this. Jesus Christ died upon the cross, not only to provide the overpayment. I want you to hear that. We think Jesus just barely paid for our sins. Friends, he overpaid for you and I. He gave the perfect sacrifice. He overpaid for your sins and mine. So we don't have to worry that somehow it wasn't a fair deal. Jesus, he paid the overpayment. For your sins and mine. And not only did he do that, but he did that so that he might live inside of us by the enabling power of his Holy Spirit. And this is the hope that we have. This is our source of strength and power. This is how we're able to live an overcoming life. This is what enables us to face the future with confidence that Jesus is living inside of you. I want every one of you to hear this, that on the day you were born again, Jesus Christ came and dwelt among you. He made his residence inside of your heart. And you will, I don't care what anybody says, you will never ever be the same. He ruins you for sin. You you show me a man or a woman who's had a real encounter with God and it messes up your sin life. I'm sorry, it does it's not fun anymore. It takes the joy out of it. You know, it used to be before you know Jesus, before you came to him, the Bible says sin is pleasurable for a season. But when you've tasted and seen of God and you've seen that the Lord is good. It kind of just messes you up for anything else because he completely and radically changes your nature. You're not even the same thing. The Bible says, here's the truth of God's word. You have died and your life is now hidden in Christ. If you go back and look for that old man, you can't even find him. He is dead in Christ. And Jesus comes, and he makes his abode inside of your heart and inside of mine. This truth should fill our hearts with hope and with confidence. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, if you turn there, it says this. It says, to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is Christ inside of you that is our hope of glory. What is the basis for our hope? What is the basis for our assurance? Christ living in us. Paul says, the life I live in the body, he says, I've died. My life is now hidden in Christ. And other portions of the scripture. But he says, the life I live in the body is now a life of faith. Faith is believing what you cannot see with your human eyes. Faith is trusting in something that's not already done, that you can't, you don't have the evidence of, I should say. And he says, I now live, since I've come into relationship with Christ, I now live a life of faith. Faith required him to believe in and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, to be the full payment for his sins, and to be more than enough, to be sufficient, to make peace between himself and God. This is what faith requires. Faith requires you to believe when the enemy comes at you and says, I know what you did last night. I know what you did last week. I know what that attitude in your heart is. Faith requires a man or a woman to believe that the price Jesus paid on the cross of Calvary was more than enough. It was sufficient to make peace between him and God. And when you put your faith in Jesus, when you trust in him, we don't trust in our goodness, we don't trust in our works, we trust in the work of Jesus upon the cross that he paid the price, and that now I can have peace with God. I can have a full assurance that me and God are okay. I don't have to think of a way that I can get back in his good graces again. Jesus' sacrifice on Calvary was more than enough. It's more than enough. Faith also requires him to believe that Jesus is who he said he is. He's the son of the living God and that Jesus truly loved him and gave himself for him. Now, I need to speak to you for a moment about getting this aspect of faith of believing that Jesus loved you and gave himself for you. Because many people believe that Jesus loves us when we're doing good. Many people believe, well, yes, I can believe that Jesus loves me and that the Father accepts me when I'm obeying, when I'm walking in step. But the grace of God is new every morning. The truth of it is, is that he gave himself. Jesus loves us and he gave himself for us. When we get this simple truth in our hearts and in our spirits, it changes the way that we see life. It changes the way that you walk. You aren't walking in fear. You aren't walking in condemnation. You're not having to listen to the lies of the enemy when you understand that Jesus loved you and he gave himself for you. The church at Galatia had somehow become deceived. If we go down into the next verse in Galatians chapter three, just looking at verse one. This is what Paul writes after he just says that. He says, you foolish Galatians, Who has bewitched you before your very eyes? Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? We're gonna stop there a minute. He says, I wanna just ask you one question. How did you start this relationship with Christ? Did you receive it? By keeping the law perfectly, by uh, by making sure your hands were washed, and we're going to get into this a moment in a moment. We've got some more we're going to talk about that. But by making sure that all your ceremonial washings were perfect, they had these ritual baths that they would take. And if you go, if you travel around the country of Israel, it's a desert, arid place, and yet they would provide water for all of these ritual baths. And before they would go up to worship. You can see them in the archaeology, in in the digs, where they have these all around Israel and in people's homes. In people's homes, they would have a ritual bath that as a part of their being clean before God, they would go and dip themselves in the water, and that made them clean. If you can wash your sins away. And along the way, the steps that they would go to go and offer sacrifices at the temple— Along the way, you will find in the archaeological digs, you'll find numerous, numerous, numerous of these ritual baths that are carved into the stone and they'd have steps going down and they'd fill them with water and they'd walk a couple blocks and then they would immerse themselves in the water and then they would walk a few more blocks and there would be another one they would immerse themselves in the water. That's religion for you. That's religion for you. Religion will kill you. It'll kill you. It'll mess you up you'll become all confident and arrogant in the fact that you've dipped enough times and that you washed your hands enough and that you said enough, said the words just right, that you gave just exactly enough and that you offered just exactly enough instead of allowing the spirit of Christ to flow through us. He said, did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard, by believing upon Christ? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the spirit are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it was really in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you have heard? And then in verse six, it says, so also Abraham believed God And it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham was credited as righteous before he did anything simply because he believed what God had said. And when you and I believe upon the work of Christ, when we believe upon what he has done, it is credited to us as righteousness as well. Paul said you were doing so well. You started off by faith, trusting in what Jesus had done for you on the cross, And now you're going to try to finish it with human efforts. Instead of allowing the spirit to complete the work he has begun in you. One of my verses that I love, one of my favorite verses. And you probably hear me say at least once a month. Being confident of this. That he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. What does it do? It reminds us that God is the one who started this work in us. None of you came to him on your own. You couldn't even come to him unless the spirit of God drew you. You think, well, no, that was my idea. I was kind of watching TV or I heard something. Let me tell you, the spirit of God drew you. If it wasn't for his spirit drawing you, it would be impossible for you to even come. And he is the one who began this good work in you and he is the one who will finish it. And Paul says, are you gonna now try to finish what has started by the spirit by keeping the law and these rituals? In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, in the Old Testament, this concept of God putting his spirit inside of a man was spoken of through Ezekiel. When Ezekiel writes to a backslidden nation in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 and 27, it says this, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And listen to what he says. And I will put my spirit in you. And move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. Having the spirit inside of you does not make you insensitive to God's words, his laws, or his decrees. We got some people here who have a little bit of confusion and we need to address that. They think that freedom, and Paul addresses this. They think that freedom involves that I can do anything that I want. You know, let me tell you something. Jesus didn't come to set you free so that you can cheat on your wife. He didn't do that. If someone tells you that that's freedom, they're lying to you. You are falling back deeper into bondage. Jesus didn't, you know, he didn't set you free. This freedom and liberty that we're not under the, the law, this freedom that people talk about is not so that you can live in rebellion against God or rebellion against authority. That's not the freedom that he came. The freedom that we're talking about is God coming and dwelling inside of you and changing your heart. So that From your heart flows out this great desire to please God. But it is not controlled or motivated by trying to appease people or make people think well of us. It's not some kind of twisted motivation. It is just natural God giving a new heart that says, God, my greatest desire is to please you and bring glory and honor to your name. On Wednesday evening, Pastor Rodney spoke from Revelations 2 about the church at Ephesus. Jesus said to them, they knew their good deeds their hard work and perseverance. They would not tolerate wickedness. They had endured hardship and had not grown weary, but he had something against them. They had left their first love. And how easy it is for men and women to depart from their first love and no longer depend fully and completely upon Christ. How easy it is for many people to simply go through the motions of being a follower of Jesus and not really allowing his life to be lived through you. I want you to remember again, according to Scripture, you're dead. You're dead. Your old man is dead. He died. He died with Christ. And your life is now hidden in Christ. This idea of going through the motions, you know, one of the things that I'll talk to people, and I believe very strongly in, is disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are vital to your spiritual growth. We need to understand this. Some of the spiritual disciplines are things like praying. Because when I pray, I commune with God, and he speaks to me, and he leads me, and he guides me, and he directs me, and he reveals his heart to me. We fellowship when I pray. My burdens are left When I pray, worries and fears are taken care of when we pray. The word of God, spending time in the word of God on a regular basis. When you spend time in the word of God on a consistent basis, what it does is it aligns your life with the will of God and the heart of God. You ever like build something or you're working on a little project and before you know it, you know, you're just kind of like, what? you eye it up. That looks pretty good. (laughs) I think think that'll do. How's that look to you? Yeah, it looks pretty good to me. That's not a good way to build a foundation. That's not a good way to build anything. All right, that's certainly not a good way to build a life. What happens is, is whenever we allow ourselves, when we're in the word of God, that plumb line of his word, whenever you are spending time in his word, I promise you this, that his word will be a plumb line to you and you start building your life and you realize, wait a minute, this is a little bit out of kilter. I need to adjust it just a little bit. It's not hard to adjust it a little bit when you do it on a regular basis. It's kind of hard when you've built a whole project, and then you realize, oh, wow, this isn't working. This isn't fitting. And so these are the disciplines, but here's the thing. These disciplines connect us with Jesus. It is not the disciplines themselves. The reason we would say to you, we would say to you about things like allowing spending time journaling. That's another good thing for it's a discipline. And just writing down the things that God says to you, and maybe in writing down the things God says to you, you begin to pour out some of the hurts in your life. And it, it, it allows you a release of things that would cause bitterness in your heart or things that would cause pain. And so we encourage people to forgive one another and to, to go and make things right. Those are, uh, those are disciplines that we need in our lives. And whenever we do those things, or we would say, you know, there's some things maybe that, that as, a, as a wise man, it'll be good for you to avoid. Because there's certain things that when I let it in my heart, when I let bitterness in my heart or resentment or unforgiveness, it begins to choke out the life of Christ. And slowly but surely, it begins just to squeeze and and choke away your joy and your peace. You used to be able to hear the voice of God. And when you let things in your life, it doesn't matter what it is. That when you give into the flesh, it kind of squelches the spirit of God in your life. But here's the reality. The disciplines in themselves are not the answer. They position me and connect me with Jesus. When I slow down enough to worship on a regular basis, when you come to church, you get to hear the word of God preached and proclaimed to you. In many ways, it's prophetic as it goes out. It's God's voice being spoken to you and spoken over your life. And so whenever we do that, these things in themselves, they're good, but don't make your relationship with God about the number of moments that checking things off the list and not doing certain things. Some of us, our relationship with God for a period in our life was really about, you know, I'm just going to try. God, you got to help me cut back on that. You know, I know I probably shouldn't do it at all, but how about we just cut back some? At a certain point, our relationship with God moves from this love and trust and him flowing through us to a list of things that I have to do or that I can't do. That is not the life that God called you to. Now, I will tell you, if if, if your thing is stealing from your employer, I do believe that the Holy Spirit is going to convict you. If you're stealing from your employer, he's going to convict you. It's going to be hard for you when you come to worship. It's going to be hard for you because you're going to feel convicted. You know, you're going to feel condemned too. The devil's doing that. The devil's condemning you and telling you there's not much hope for you. You're, you're a dog. Jesus is going to convict you. His Holy Spirit is going to convict you. But you can't, you know, we can't be stealing from our employer and, and cheating on our husband or cheating on our wife and beating up our kids or cursing out the neighbor and being angry and furious with them and think that the life of Christ is going to flow through us. Those are things that are going to hinder or slow down what God is trying to do within us. For many people, the focus becomes upon what Christians do and don't do instead of who they are. Even unsaved people know that followers of Jesus are supposed to be like him. They know what he's like. So you should be kind and you should be generous and you should have the right attitude and you should control your temper and your emotions and you should forgive and not hold a grudge. You're supposed to turn the other cheek and you're supposed to do good to people who mistreat them. They should control their tongue and not gossip and And not use foul language. They're supposed to be doing good, helping others, sharing with people in need. They're supposed to teach their families to do right. And and they're supposed to be examples for others to follow. They're supposed to to work hard but don't be greedy. And they're supposed to be morally upright but not look down on others. And on and on the list goes that the world says. But I'm going to just tell you, you're not going to be able to do, you're not even going to be able to keep that list if you don't stay focused and connected. To the one whose life is flowing through you. The one who lives inside of you. Somehow we forget. I don't know how it is, but somehow we seem to forget. You notice Peter. Peter said, he he saw Jesus in the midst of the storm. And he says, you know, Jesus, is it you? And he says, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. And Jesus said, come. And he stepped out of the boat. And the dude is walking on water. Peter defied natural laws whenever he kept his eyes. I mean, you can't walk on water. Peter defied natural laws when he kept his eyes on the master. But whenever he took his eyes off of the master and started looking at his situations and the waves around him, and I wonder what the guys in the boat are thinking. What happens to him? He begins to sink. That's absolutely right. He begins to sink, and you and I begin to sink whenever we take our eyes off of the master. The spirit of Jesus Christ lives inside of you. He is inside of you. He dwells inside of you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you, and he will quicken your mortal body. I want to say something. If there is sickness... The Spirit of Jesus dwells inside of you. If you may say, well, pastor, I'm facing a situation where I don't have the wisdom for. Well, I want you to know that inside of you, the Spirit of Jesus Christ lives inside of you, and he is the author of all wisdom. You're not lacking any wisdom. You may say, I don't have the strength. I want you to know the spirit of Jesus Christ dwells inside of you. He has more than enough strength. You may say, I don't have the anointing to do this ministry. Listen, the spirit of Jesus lives inside of you. There's more than enough anointing for whatever you have. You may say, my back's against the wall. This is too big for me. It may be too big for you, but it's not too big for the Jesus who lives inside of you today. So as we go out of this place today, what you and I need to do is we need to ask God, God, would you change my mind and change my thinking and enlarge my capacity to understand that Jesus lives in me? And whenever he came and lived in you, everything changed. There is nothing that you you may say, Pastor, I have an addiction. Jesus is bigger than your addiction, dude. He can break every addiction. You may say, Pastor, I, I you know I got problems. Well, he's the problem solver. Whatever you have need of today, you are more than equipped. You got to understand, you're dead. Your old man is dead. He died with Christ. There's a new man in town. There's a new sheriff in town. There's a new authority in your life. It's Jesus Christ. And because he lives, you and I can live also. the scripture says. Partnership with God. Wow. He's always inside, Sam. You need wisdom for your business. He's the greatest entrepreneur that ever existed. You need to learn how can we grow, how can we handle this. He's inside of each of us. He dwells inside of us. As we close, this is what I want to do. I want to pray for you, and I want to pray that your understanding, the understanding of who you are and the authority and the power that you have will just be revealed to you today, that we would just understand who we are, whose we are, the authority that we have, the anointing that we have, because Christ is in us. Father, I thank you today for what Jesus has done upon the cross for me, I thank you, Lord, I'm not the same man that I used to be. I thank you that, my friends, the devil wants to tell them that nothing changed, but everything about them changed when they gave their life to you. They got a new DNA. They got a new master. They're no longer slaves to sin. They're slaves to righteousness. The life that they live is the life of Christ, and it's a life of faith. Now, would you teach us, Lord, to walk in faith, and to believe you, and to accept who we really are in Jesus Christ. We're the head, we're not the tail. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Lord, may your blessing rest upon your people. And like Peter, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't take our eyes off of you. Don't let us take our eyes or our focus off of you, but keep allowing you to flow and live through us.